Uh, our reading today is from Mark 7, 24 to 37. This is in the New Revised Standard Version. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. A woman whose little girl had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not good to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, on account of your word, go home. The demon has gone out of your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon toward the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered him to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astonished, astounded beyond measure, saying, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The word of God for the people of God. Okay, um, let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be held in the light and grace of your love. Amen. Jesus is trying to get away from it all. We've all been there, right? And in Jesus' case, it's particularly understandable. In the earlier chapters of Mark, we have already learned that everyone is searching for him. And in fact, it got so bad that his disciples had to get a boat for him to get on so that the crowds wouldn't crush him at the seaside one time. On the other hand, in his own hometown in Nazareth, people are rejecting him. The scribes and the Pharisees are actively seeking to destroy him. His family, rather than supporting his worthy cause, are trying to, um, to restrain him. His disciples don't understand him, 
and his friend and mentor John the Baptist has just been beheaded. It's fair to say that Jesus is having a bad go of it. So he goes to Tyre to try and get away from it all. But of course, it doesn't work. The text tells us, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. What do we learn about the woman from these couple of verses? She is obviously a female. She's a Gentile, which is a generic category distinguishing her from the Jews. She is Syrophoenician, which is a racial ethnic description and may mean she's of mixed race. And she has a daughter with an unclean spirit. Not good. The woman bears a triple stigma, race, gender, mother of a, a daughter possessed by demons. These intersecting oppressions are at play. In this context, it's quite clear that the woman is impure in relationship to Jesus, who is, of course, pure. Jesus is what the woman is not, male, Jewish, with no ill dependence. Now, there are a few other things that we can also construe from these verses. We can make an educated guess that the woman is a single mom, that she has no male protectors like a husband, father, or brother, or she would send them to advocate on behalf of her daughter with much higher chance of success. We can also summarize that she loves her daughter very much. She's going way out of her way. She's taking a lot of risks in approaching Jesus as she does. The theologian Dorte Zola once said, the more we love, the more we pray. I think about that often and find it so true. The woman comes to Jesus praying desperately that he will heal her daughter out of deep love. Finally, we can deduce this woman has some spunk. More will be revealed in the next couple of verses, but she's not acting um, well-behaved. She's not acting submissively as she intrudes on this Jewish rabbi who's trying to be alone and staying in a private home. I'm gonna pause in my sermon here for a moment to remind us that last week we heard from Karen Peterson Iyer, who is a friend and colleague of mine at Santa Clara University. Karen showed us this slide and we all loved it. So I had to show it again. Um, Karen, as she shared, teaches theology and ethics. I teach theology and scripture. Now, you may think that ethics 
and sex, the classes on ethics and sex um, would be a lot more popular, relevant, engaging, and controversial than classes on the Bible. And you would be right about the popular part. But the class Biblical Women and Power, AKA Bad Girls of the Bible, in which we studied this story as well as many others, that class draws a consistently strong crowd. And I will argue that the Bible is just as relevant, engaging, and controversial as ethics and even sex. Case in point, we're going to continue with the story. The next thing that happens is Jesus says to the woman, let the children be fed first, for it is not good to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Let's that me. Whoa. Did Jesus just call this woman a dog? Yes, he did. And yes, that was just as degrading of an insult then as it is now. In his defense, we've already established that he is at a really low point. If my hometown had rejected me, my friends didn't understand me, my family was trying to restrain me, the authorities were trying to destroy me, and my mentor had just been beheaded, I would not be at my best either. But it is not simply Jesus' lack of compassion that's disturbing in this. It is his unreasoned reason that is so upsetting. Jesus' response exposes clearly his male Jewish privileged bias. She, the woman, is a non-Jew mixed race female, and Jesus has now called her a dog. What is revealed in this story, and this is very important, what is revealed in this story is that Jesus, like many of us, is socially conditioned by an ideology of racial supremacy and gender priority that justifies this kind of response. Jesus, like many of us, is shaped by a tradition that prioritizes the comfort of some people, the people like him, over the well-being, even the survival of other people, like the woman and her daughter. But the Syrophoenician woman responds, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I stand in total awe of the Syrophoenician woman. Had this been me, 
I would have either lost it, burst into rage and started screaming at Jesus or burst into tears and gone running out of the house, neither of which would done any good at all. But the Syrophoenician woman keeps her cool. She uses Jesus' words to her advantage. The woman flips the script. She talks back to Jesus. She spars with him. And if we have any doubt of the power of her words, we just need to look at the next verse. Jesus says, on account of your word, go home. The daughter, the demon has gone out of your daughter. Jesus really changes his tune. I like to think that this picture kind of suggests that Jesus looks into the woman's eyes and apologizes. I like to think that Jesus says to her, you are right, and I was so wrong. I am sorry. I like to think that those things happened and the gospel writers just did put them in. My students and I often wonder. But even with what we are missing in the text, we do have this, on account of your word, not on account of Jesus' niceness or kindness or mercy, not on account of Jesus' divine healing power, but on account of your word, the demon has gone out of your daughter. I love this story for so many reasons. I love that it reveals the humanity of Jesus. Yes, I shudder at his racist and sexist words, but I confess that I can see some of my own socially conditioned assumptions and biases in his. And as real and destructive as those words are, Jesus doesn't stop there. He listens to the woman and he recognizes whether explicitly or not that he is wrong. And Jesus changes. He changes how he sees the woman, how he sees her daughter, and how he sees his entire role in the world. We could all learn a lot from that. And I love the Syrophoenician woman's radical power. She is clearly the hero in this story. She reigns over how this conversation goes. The Syrophoenician woman is the teacher. She is teaching Jesus how to open his worldview, how to broaden his compassion. She is also the healer in this story. Remember, it is on account of her word that her daughter 
is healed. Biblical scholar Mitzi J. Smith has a riveting article about this text. I can't possibly do it justice in the few minutes we have left, but I'm gonna highlight a couple of the points. Smith introduces us to the concept, the womanist concept of sass. She argues sass is a mother tongue. She describes sass as talking back, as calling out, as refusing to be silent and refusing to submit. Smith notes that the term is usually applied to persons considered inferior or subordinate to the people towards whom the sass is addressed. Smith draws from the work of Alice Walker, who describes a womanist as someone committed to the survival and wholeness of an entire people as someone committed to an audacious, vocal, and vociferous pursuit of justice. I love that line. Smith tells us that for Black women in some situations, sass may be their only means of agency. She calls sass subversive improvisation, and resistance language. Okay, you know where we're going with this, right? Smith reads the story of the Syrophoenician woman and she recognizes her use of sass. The Syrophoenician woman resists with the only thing she has, her words, her sass. She refuses to be silent. She refuses to accept her plight in the world and she refuses to let Jesus have the final word. Instead, she uses her sass to call out the unjust systems that have conditioned and narrowed Jesus' worldview. And she uses her sass to change the way Jesus sees her, her daughter, her people, and even his mission in the world. Finally, in the end, as Jesus tells us, it is the power of her sass that heals, that heals her daughter. In this story, the woman proves that her life matters, that her daughter's life matters that Syrophoenician lives matter. Smith warns that sass can be dangerous. She reminds us of the death of Sandra Bland in 2015 after she talked back to a police officer who pulled her over for changing lanes without signaling. Smith has many other examples. She has a long list. Smith knows that sass 
does not always end well. She quotes Tanahasi Coates when he advises his son that you are called to struggle not because it assures victory, but because it assures an honorable, sane life. Smith knows that sassy women take a risk, a risk that could be result in violence against them, a risk that could end up being fatal when they confront oppression. Just as these Afghan women did on Friday in Kabul. But nonetheless, Smith calls us to celebrate SAS, whoops, to celebrate SAS as a legitimate truth telling, a legitimate way to expose exploitation, and a vital way to insist on human dignity. I'm going to conclude by briefly looking at the second story in the lectionary today. The story in which Jesus heals a deaf man with a speech impediment. Now, it cannot be by chance that Mark places this story immediately after the story of the Syrophoenician woman. As I thought about it, it became to me stunningly obvious that Jesus himself has just had his healing, his hearing healed. Jesus has had his hearing healed when he finally heard the Syrophoenician woman. So now he knows the urgency of us all having our hearing healed. That we all need to have our ears open to the voices and people we have been conditioned to ignore. Then Jesus releases the tongue of the man. Oh my, so that he can speak plainly, so that he can speak up, so that he can talk back, so that he can sass when it is needed. This story charges us to use our words for truth-telling, to release our tongues, to expose exploitation, to talk back, to resist injustice, and to celebrate a sass that demands that the value of people whose lives have long been denied, that demands dignity for ourselves, for our children, and for our earth. Amen.